Good afternoon and welcome to the Tortoise Sunday Shack special. I'm Vicky Conway, host of Police in Ireland, and today I'm joined by Martin McMahon and Tony Groves of the Echo Chamber podcast and Linda Hayden of the Pack Women podcast. As ever, we have a few special guests joining us in the show later on, but mostly we're delighted to have you all here with us to talk about quite the week. Um, I know when I was looking back, I was with some of the stuff, I was like, was that actually this week? That feels like a year ago. Um, we know some were probably celebrating last night, so there may be some sore heads, but hopefully your hearts are a bit happier than last week. Tony may try and burst that bubble later, but the rest of us will do our best. Um, and in fact, it's been such a week that it seems we're not even going to have a substantive conversation about COVID, which which may be a first on the, the Sunday special. Um, but suffice it to say, you're all being completely awesome. And that's why we're not talking about it. Um, as ever, pop your questions in the chat. There'll be a Q&A at the end. But we're going to start with, of course, the US elections. And I'm going to ask everyone to, you know, comment. What's your your feeling this morning? Where is your head at with all of this? Linda. Um, an overwhelming sense of relief more than anything else. I mean, like, like everybody, I was up till like two in the morning, three in the morning, watching counts, watching that 2.53 not moving and just, you know, kind of knowing it was going to be okay, but not quite sure. And I think one of the things is, it kind of goes to show how ineffective Trump's team are because they obviously, you know, there was voter suppression going on, but they didn't do enough to um, counteract it. So that kind of shows you how much people got behind Biden. So, uh, yeah, we'll wait and see what the next four years brings. But it's it's good to be a little bit more hopeful than um, we have been, I think. Tony, that's not your feeling at all, is it? No, um, I I just like, I mean, OK, I'm, I'm going to pick holes in a few of the things. And obviously, you know, it, it is great to see the end of um, the the Mango Mussolini and all of that. Um, but I also watch, you know, just even our own politics. Um, we're being tone policed already by by Fine Gael. There's two there's two well known. Um, there's one one minister and one MEP telling us, you know, that we, there's almost a sneaking regard for oh, let's remove this sort of toxicity against the, the people who have who have. You know, let's not almost let's not almost enjoy the moment. Um, and some of the lessons that we've that we've learned from Trump, you know, in the last few days, you knew he was a busted flush because people were conti- like CNN would just cut away when he started bullshitting. It's almost like we could have been doing that for a few years, actually. But a lot of stuff that we haven't done, I wonder how much of it will carry on. Um, and I hope for or all our sakes that um, that president biden is just uh he's almost like a caretaker manager that's come in he's come in now he has his, he has his moments uh but people are just hoping that the transition phase and 70 million people voted for donald trump i mean that's a lot a lot like it's, it wins every other election ever and that's just that's just a fact so we wake up this morning things are definitely better there's definitely a lot more a little more hope in the air there's absolutely no doubt about that but we also need to be very cognizant of that it was right on a knife edge that the world's greatest democracy was right on a knife edge and you know and that is how fragile these things are martin i think what i find most interesting is the the use of power, the transfer of power from one administration to another and how it's happening. 
And I think that's really interesting because it ha- happens in microcosm in every single country, but never as, as in the open as to really warring factions, hand, one handing power to the other. And how, as Tony said, the media now feel free to, to I suppose I saw one say, F off to a Trumper, you know. So the media now have changed, but they feel that they can. Right up until the moment that Trump looked like president, they couldn't. And I think that's really interesting. I, I think it's interesting how the, the paradigm all shifts and, and quite subtly, but very quickly. And he still, of course, has... Well, two months and 12 days in yeah. that office. But he, he, he is no longer the president. You know, okay, he's there for a little while longer, but he doesn't have the power. And it's very clear that the power now resides in Joe Biden. It's without doubt that it resides in Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think like massive relief. And of course, you know, Biden, Harris, first female person of color in the office of vice president, which is incredible, but you know, kind of sad that it takes so long for us to even get there. Neither of them exactly perfect, a bit of a Barack thing going on again, that like we can have our issues with a lot of policies and it's not a panacea to everything. One of the things I've kind of really been thinking about in the last couple of days is about the way that the alternative forms of voting became so significant and how we don't really have that in Ireland. Um, And, you know, if an election was called in the next couple of months, still under the COVID restrictions, could we implement a scheme around postal or even electronic votes like they have in Estonia? Um, Could we do it? And would it make a difference um, to the election results or to who engages um, and why they engage and that kind of thing? Are we going to ask Aoife more? Are we going to pounce on her this morning? Very cheeky, very cheeky me just to, just to turn on our mic. But yeah, Aoife, very cheeky. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm still very um, positive. I haven't let my cynicism creep in yet about the American election. I'm just so happy that above anything else, there's just someone with a sense of decency. Um, back in the White House like I know people have their complaints about Joe Biden and I know he's like the oldest person in the world but like I really just think to have someone who has like a base level of respect and um, respect for human life (laughs) and empathy for other people I just can't like the kind of mood in America and just the general disregard for like basic manners and decency has been really really shocking and I'm just delighted that he's gone and you know you could say like you say like oh well you know it was on like it was nearly 50 50 in a lot of the states you know like that's why we waited so long for the election so it does show that America is really split and I think there's obviously a long way to go to get away from Trumpism because it's not just going to be this one term like there's damage been done Mm -hmm. um to the American psyche, kind of. So, yeah, I'm delighted that he's in. I'm delighted Cam- Camel is in. I'm probably not saying that right. But, um, yeah, I just think at the bare minimum, if the only thing he does is rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, then we're still winning. You know what I mean? Like, if that's if, even if he's just not as bad as Trump, we still won something. That is actually a really good point. It makes me sound like I'm just being, a, being cranky, but, but I just, I do accept that. I, I think... I think Joe Biden has one superpower and it's empathy. 
you yeah. know, when he looks when he looks down the, the the camera and he looks at you, you do know that he actually can feel like he's been through so much. His own his own his own loss, his own family tragedies. He does seem to be able to co- convey that to people. And if nothing else, that is really really good. Like to have a guy who seems to have empathy as opposed to a guy who you know just was in it and in it for the grift, really. You know. And that empathy is the one thing that has a shot at healing, I think, like that division, you know, because so much of that division and so much, I think, of the support for Trump is based on fear um, and fear that was manufactured and and fed and like literally pumped into people's veins. Um, And so, you know, the empathy can potentially like he can see that and understand that. And I think he gets why a lot of people voted for Trump. Linda? Just in terms of the fear thing, like that's what America's built on. Like the whole thing of it, they're fed fear. Like even if you look at their ads on the telly, it's like, oh my God, if you get this illness, you have to buy this particular drug and ask your doctor for this particular drug. And that's what the whole nation is built on. And it's actually built to a point now where it's a tipping point. And I think that's, that's the big issue, that they're fed fear on a daily basis. But I don't think I don't think it's what they're built on. I think as a nation, it was built on hope, rightly or wrongly. You know, the American dream and all of that. That's a massive shift that's happened in the last couple of decades is that move towards fear because it wasn't. I Well, I don't think it was what they were built on, but it's certainly like the foundations now. Um, so, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. Martin, well, you have to ask Tony about the American dream quote. You just have to ask him about it. Why though? You mean around the the actual American dream? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, you know, wasn't it the guy, Mister Gillette himself, who came up with the concept in his utopian book, and it was about the system and how it would work, and everybody would live in this city that was going to be a utopian thing. Everybody would get. It was a socialist vision, but they basically they basically said, "Oh, Jesus, we can't have that." But they they successfully stole the idea of the American dream and corporatized it and made it uh, successful as a aspirational thing to get ahead of people. And it was, you know, and we always look. We it, it's it's quite funny that he wrote an entire. Um, fictional novel on it. The, the actual guy who created the Gillette razor blades wrote a fictional novel about this situation, and it was the first time that the phrase "American Dream" was coined. And it was about this, as I said, everybody get along to get along, and that's it not. It was a socialist idea. Socialist yeah, idea. but you could. But it actually can't... operates in practice to control people because it says keep doing the good thing, and mm. you'll get yeah. reward in the long run, even though they won't. Um, I could go off here because I spent a whole section on my criminology course explaining why the American dream is one of the biggest causes of crime um, in that nation, but we should move on. Um, Martin, Leo Gate, we have a motion of no confidence on Tuesday from okay. Sinn Féin. We're seeing a lot of uh, very angry uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael people about this, but actually it's very clever politics from Sinn Féin. It's very easy to say you you let the Taoiseach or the Tánais the former Taoiseach off the hook. It's much harder to put your name down on a roll and say that you agree to lower standards in the door. That's much more difficult to do. And it will be held against you your entire career. And if and when Varadkar fucks up again, because that's only a matter of time, then everybody can come back and say, I told you so. And it's going to be there your entire career. Very clever politicking from Sinn Féin. Very clever. Um, what the result will be, I don't think it's as easy sign your name to it as it is to release a press statement. I think it's a different kettle of fish. 
And I certainly think that there will be difficulties for some. And I mean, the hypocrisy of the ones that will have come, already come out and said he has to answer mm. from Fianna Fáil in particular. Well, yeah. then that's going to be really telling on your career. So, yeah, bring it on. And I think it's needed and I think it's very warranted. Absolutely, utterly warranted. Like, will someone like, like Jim O'Callaghan has kind of said he's not satisfied or whatever. Um, but like, I don't see him voting against it. So does he come out with something else? And like some, some why, alternative? Why would this not be a matter of conscience for TDs? This is a lowering of standards within your doll. Two weeks ago, nobody in the country thought it was right or proper that a minister could leak documents to a friend. Nobody thought it was right or proper. Now we're being told it's a grey area and it has to be taken on uh, each case basis. No, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. So, you know, accept responsibility. We cannot change the course of politics in Ireland just because Varadkar needs a let off. That cannot happen. And if it does happen, shame on all those who allow it happen. They'll, they'll have to go with the whip, though, because you know the whip will be applied in this case. Fuck the whip. Yeah, I would say fuck the whip, too. Um, Aoife, can we ask you for a comment, if that's fair? Yeah, I mean, like, I agree. It's really good politics from Sinn Féin. Um, I wrote about this in yesterday's paper, how it's not really about Leo Varadkar for Sinn Féin I mean it is and it isn't you know it's it what Mary Lou is doing is she's forcing their hand you know she's putting down the motion of no confidence so then she has them on record saying well we actually think this is this is maybe not all right but it's not a resigning matter or even a sanction matter you know as far as I know um he hasn't been sanctioned at all I don't think he's received any kind of punishment or anything for it so what Mary Lou is doing is basically she's putting Fianna Fáil and the Green Party on the record saying this this is grand. It's good politics. And, you know, the old, the argument that Fianna Fáil and are going on is, you know, this is political pageantry from Sinn Féin and they're trying to distract from the money scandal in the North, which is true. They are. But using that argument is not wise for Fine Gael because Mary Lou can then turn around and say, well, in my party, people had to resign. In my party, people lost their jobs. So she has allowed Fine Gael to walk into it and they're going to walk into it because that's already the argument that they're using. You know, Richard Britton put out a statement on Friday night there saying the same thing. And I just don't know why Fine Gael don't see it. The other point, you know, that Martin made about, you know, putting you know, TDs in a matter of conscience. I know for a fact, I spoke to a senior member of Fianna Gael who said, you know, this hasn't really resonated with the public. Um, we're not worried. There's no smoking gun here. And I know for a fact that members of his own executive council spoke to Eamon Ryan last night and were at pains to explain to him why this looked bad. Um, the source basically said that, you know, Eamon doesn't get it. He can't see why this would make the Green Party look bad. He thinks it's a Fine Gael problem. So what I'm hearing, like it from you in this podcast and what you see on Twitter, that's not reaching Kildare yeah. Street. They they don't think this is a big issue. They don't think the public care about it. Well, I don't know how you gauge whether the public care about something or not, like whether it's a live line or whatever, but they, the way, like Martin, what Martin is saying about, you know, the, the conscience and stuff like that, I don't think it's 
that going to be that big a deal for them because a lot of them don't think it, it matters because they don't think the public care about it. I mean, my gauge is always my immediate family and I'm totally the the lefty black sheep of the family and not a single person in my family thinks this is an issue. Um, and like, I, I'm just stunned. I mean, you had a Taoiseach, you had a current Taunish, that former Taoiseach, when asked, had he done, the, had he leaked cabinet papers before, say, um, not of this nature. Like, it's just unreal. And but at the same time, like I do think Ireland has this relationship to knowing people to be able to, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't want that to go away. Like that ability to call a friend and get a favor done, you know, it's something I think we're like very slowly trying to turn around. But um, I suspect they're right. I don't I don't think the majority of the public thinks this is a resignation issue. It's he's it's going to, he's going to get away with it and he but but he is going to be damaged. I mean there's no yeah. question. Like there's a hardcore of people who just won't give a shit and that's fine. But he has um in the eyes of a lot of people when they do come around and they do pay attention and it will come back up again the next time they're on a campaign cycle and people will say, you know, well actually that's the guy who does favors for his mates and you know also, the idea is starting to actually finally creep out now, and I'm pleased to see it. The way he's treated Matthew O'Toole throughout this process mm-hmm. is starting to resonate with people that he was so quick to throw him under the bus, reverse the bus back over, and then send other people out to, to hit him with, 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 the, with the next bus around the corner. Um, and I think that's starting to come out as well, that, that, that sort of stuff. So, look, you know, as you said, Martin said, he's right. It's good politics um, by Sinn Féin. And I think what we've seen is the halo has completely slipped on the, um, as Josepha Madigan called him, the most impressive um, politician of his era. That cannot be uh, that cannot be taken seriously anymore. I kind of feel that people will care after the fact more than they do before the fact. We're the anoraks. Um, You know, we care all the time, but for a lot of people, it has to happen first. And I, yeah, and I think this is the thing, like this is going on wholesale. A lot of the parties don't care because they're all doing this kind of thing, mm. I think. And you always have to have that first moment where, we, you know, the ship starts to turn and we start to think, actually, maybe this isn't right. And, you know, so in some ways, even if he doesn't, you know, even if he gets away with this, it's still a positive development because, you know, we're getting somewhere. We're starting to acknowledge and, and have conversations about whether this behavior is right. Um, I'm it's sure there'll be lots. Years, it's five years since the Stockdams proposed an anti-corruption agency. Maybe it's time for somebody to propose it again. Well, and I harp on about Greco. Greco will be coming early next year now. It's been delayed because of COVID and they're going to be looking at efforts among the guards to prevent corruption. And we have eight guards suspended today because of corruption in Munster. And they're also going to be looking at efforts being made at cabinet level of government to prevent corruption there. And all kinds of things that we've been talking about before, even positions post uh, ministries will come up. Um, But again, we will move on. Tony, could you bring Rona in? Of course I can. Um, Um, While I'm doing that, can I just bring up a couple of quick issues while I'm bringing Rona on? Um, Just on, it's been brought to my attention again. We saw Simon Coveney talk about the issues that are going on and he objected on Twitter to the situation in Palestine. But this is par for the course. Every time there's been a transition phase from one president to the next, 
the Israeli military quite horribly call it uh, mowing the lawn and they 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 grab as much uh, territory as they can and um, I'm going to be talking to people in in both Gaza and Palestine this week and hopefully we'll have the podcasts to to back it up but I think the eyes of the world while this is all going on should pay attention to it and then the second thing is obviously and Vic you'd know more about this than me is Seamus Wolf finally um Wolf watch yeah um are, are we going to get anywhere I don't yeah, know. so he's he's met with the chief justice and um, we we're told that the outcome of that meeting will be known in a couple of days. Um, so, I mean, I'm not really sure. Like, it doesn't sound like the chief justice is going to like either sack or require a resignation, but it'll be interesting to see. I think like uh, the tone seems to be that some kind of reparation is needed. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what the Chief Justice proposes in that regard and how Seamus Wolf responds to that. Um, I think it'll so, be a public apology yeah. from Seamus Wolf. I feel like the, you know, we've all read the interview, um, you know, of like how he kind of conducted himself with Justice Denham. And the KKK one? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, do you play golf yourself, Justice? Um, <laughs> that <laughs> I think, I don't know, I don't know much about the judiciary, this is not my area of expertise, but I kind of feel that because of how he conducted himself and because, you know, the Supreme Court justices who visited him and his house said, you know, he just doesn't get it. So I think there's going to have to be some kind of an acknowledgement that his behaviour or his um, comments were inappropriate and he's going to have to apologise for any you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a question of not knowing the judiciary. The problem here is that we've never, like, this is completely uncharted territory and there is no sense of, um, you know, it's not like, I mean, the guards, you know, you can have a two-week fine imposed, <laughs> things like that by way of discipline, you know, but we don't have a mechanism for that within the judiciary. So we don't know. Um, and it'll be really interesting, I think, to see what the Chief Justice does. Um, we're going to move on. Um, we're really delighted to be welcomed by Ronan McCord, friend of the Shack, to talk to us about what's been going on in Poland um, in the last few weeks. You've probably all seen the images of the huge protests following a really significant court decision. Rona, can you explain to us what's been going on there? Um, yeah, I can. Um, um, big shout out to my colleague, Julia Marciniak, for a start, who I work with in Unite Trade Union, who's from Poland. She's from a city called Yaroslav, and she's been there with her mother over the last uh, number of weeks uh, as this sort of unfolded. And she's been talking to me pretty much every day about what's going on. Um, she herself spoke at a very big rally on Monday night in her home city. Um, where she talked about the um, similarities with Ireland and what had happened here in terms of the campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment. Um, but at the same time, she's at pains to point out to me pretty much every day that there's very significant differences in what's going on in how our campaign worked and what's happening over there. And it's really important to note them because it's actually quite dangerous what's going on on the streets. Um, first of all, you have a very chaotic um, and spontaneous um, response to this um, piece of, well, it's not even a piece of legislation yet. It was a ruling. It's actually not published yet and not law yet. Um, but and what was, did the ruling say? Well, it basically has, out, has outlawed all abortion. Like it was, the, it was the last kind of pieces that were left, you know, like the, the um, for fatal fetal abnormality, basically. Like, so all 
all of all of the cases had more or less been abol- been uh, outlawed anyway. So once they did that, it was it basically makes I think it was something. The figure is given around ninety six percent of abortions are now illegal. I don't know how they come to that figure, but it's it's uh, obviously a significant restriction. Um, and it, it it has been the straw that has created a, a backlash or an outpouring of frustration onto the streets. It's not the only issue that's going on on those demonstrations. It's become very broad in terms of the demands, um, quite chaotic because it's illegal to organise a demonstration. Um, and they're even watching people on Facebook and so on. And they're, they've been threatened with jail sentences of up to eight years and on-the-spot fines. They've actually been emailing people who they suspect of organising demonstrations to turn up at the police station the next day for question, basically. So Julia's told me she's not answering her emails if anyone's looking for her. Um, but the, because it's so chaotic um, and because the demands are so broad, there isn't. it's not like here where we had it. You know, after 30 years, I, I emphasise, we had a very coordinated campaign um, with an umbrella organisation that had its branding and was very, very professional. And it was very safe to go onto the streets. Uh, and it was, you know, as you know, um, that had a huge, huge momentum behind it. And it had a single issue and it had single goals and it had demands and so on. What's happening there is there's demands around LGBT, there's demands around disability rights. There's demands around um, precarious employment and all of this is coming out onto the streets. At the same time, you've got, like yesterday, there was 27,000 new cases of COVID um, and the government um, are weakened by what's going on. They refuse to meet, so they haven't had a parliamentary session for the last number of weeks and they've delayed it for the next few weeks. And the opposition believe that that's because they're afraid, they're scared that they are going to be forced to resign. So they're using the COVID repression really to keep themselves out of the limelight, if you like, or away from the parliament and keep the protests off the street. Now, they're upping those restrictions now. They're due to up them this week. So they're actually talking about people not being allowed to leave their homes. So it's a serious repression. And obviously, this is all coming at a bad time, if you like, in terms of street protests or in terms of fighting for any demands because of the the COVID. Um, but you've also got a situation where, you, you know, the history around the far right in Poland is obviously very, very different experience to anything we've ever experienced. And, um, you know, you've had, like the Minister for Education, for example, has threatened to cut funding to any universities who've supported any of the protests. This is a person who referred to women as basically being um, on earth to provide babies for God and this kind of stuff, you know. So you have people like that on the one hand in power um, and they're calling the strike an attack on Poland's national identity and all of all that they stand for in Poland and have called on people to defend the church and so on. Um, a big speech was made by um, the vice pres- president of the country on, in, on the 27th of October about defending the churches. And ever since that speech, demonstrations have been attacked by, by Nazis and the far right. So, you have a situation where the spontaneity is fantastic and it's, it's great to see. I think we all kind of like when we see that sort of spontaneous outpouring, but it's also quite dangerous because it's uncoordinated and people are sort, sort of afraid to, or it's not being organised under a group because they're afraid of, of the repercussions. So people are, are anonymously putting up things on social media saying, meet here and we have a demonstration there. And people are not sure exactly who they are or exactly what their demands are. So they could end up on a very different protest to what they thought they went out on. So, and then you've got the far right mixed into that. So it's quite dangerous. 
Um, and, you know, Julia, like she was saying, that it's it's great that Ireland are giving support and people really appreciate that. And I mean, I, I encourage anybody to, you know, even if it's just a retweet or something like to send that message out to, to people in Poland. But it's it's not the sort of straightforward scenario that we, not, I say straightforward, it took us 30 years to get there. But in the end, we had a pretty coordinated uh, campaign. That's not really what's going on in Poland. There are, in fact, people, if you think about it, we were in a space where we'd already... Um, got uh, equality in terms of the equality marriage referendum. So the, the space that we were in was quite progressive going into the campaign on abortion rights. They're not in that space at all. There's actually people um, on the demonstration that they don't want LGBT people on the demonstration. So there's a lot of conflict going on um, within the actual protests themselves. It's not really as clear cut yeah. at all it's quite messy in fact Arthur yeah. Vidak was on with us from Warsaw during the week and he made that point as well Rona that there's, it's so diverse you have foreign students supporting um, the, the movement you have you know, people who don't want other people. You, you've got on the on one side, they're saying there's there's football hooligans who basically said, "Oh, listen, this is a great outlet for us here." You know, and you've got um such a such, uh, and then he also said that you know, like Poland was only um independent for two weeks, and they extended the, the franchise to women to vote immediately. They gave you know they had early rights for for reproductive choices. They did all of these things that have been rolled back now over the last one hundred years, um, and that was the kind of thing that he said. And he told us very proudly about their history of. Of, of how they were trying to be progressive and how that's all been slowly chipped away over the last number of years and yeah no you're quite right um people need to uh accept that this is happening in the eu you know and it, yeah. if there's a hundred thousand people on the streets um that's significant you know every town and village had its own my you know it could be a couple of hundred people in a smaller area but there was everybody was out on the streets in the middle of a pandemic yeah uh, and, and it's female-led i suppose as well which is also yeah. important sorry and like you know this is time we had louisiana passed a ballot this week saying um there's no right to abortion in the constitution and no constitutional funding for abortion provision we have Norma Foley making some odd comments about being open to amendments um you know I think a lot of us that were involved kind of like hope that segment of our life is over. But um, like we have to not only kind of maintain the pressure at home, but absolutely support those abroad and see this as the global issue that it completely is. So thanks a million. Oh, Linda, you want to come in quickly? Yeah, I just wanted to say this is never going to be over. <laughs> yeah. It's never going to be over. Yeah, We're, we're yeah. stuck with this. We're going to have to keep fighting for the rest of our lives and probably for our, our kids' lives as well. You know, like it's it's not going away. It's an ongoing battle, as is the battle against the far right and racism and so on. This is it's not like it has a start date and an end date. It is something yeah. that always has to be well organised against. There's a national demonstration on the 11th of November, which is their in interna- their Independence Day, which they're urging the progressive people not to go on because they think mm. it's going to be just a Nazi fest, basically. So yeah. what they're doing at the moment, they're trying to. Because it's it's been every day basically for 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 over two weeks now, and they want to kind of end that period of the demonstrations. Firstly, because of the repression and the COVID thing, but also it's not sustainable for the actual demonstrators themselves. They're they're worn out at this stage, um. So they're calling for now is to have a demonstration every Monday, 
So hopefully I'll get a report tomorrow from Julia yeah. from that and I'll share it around on Facebook and if people can do their best to share, you know, we've been yeah. in touch with ARC and we've been in touch with Alva Smith and people like that. who Yeah, because international pressure matters on this stuff, doesn't very it? Much so, so, much. so it's know, an yeah. EU country and, you know, they're, yeah. they're trying to get into the euro uh, mechanism as well. Like, you know, so yeah, pressure needs to be put on them. They can't just repress people in the manner that they're doing. Okay, thank you so much, Ron. I think I'll talk to you again about that, um, I'm sure, in, in the coming days and weeks. Um, Linda, not straying too far, I suppose, um, there was a couple of things around domestic violence that you really wanted to highlight this week. Yeah, so we had um, Johnny Depp lost his case against the son. Uh, so they're officially allowed now to call him a wife beater. Um, and I don't think, like, I think with this one, nobody won here. You know, like she didn't um, contest it. Uh, like the, the, I just think that this is going to rumble on for a while. And what we're basically seeing is is a very toxic relationship um, being played out in public. Um, and I don't I, like domestic violence wise. It's a win because obviously, you know, there's video there and, and footage there of him being abusive to her. Um, it, it, I think in this case, it probably went both ways, but um, it, it's interesting to see. And then last week we had uh, uh, people falling over themselves um, to, you know, offer condolences about Sean Connery um, and completely forgetting that uh, he very much liked hitting women with, a, with an open palm, not with a fist now, uh, but was very much an advocate for um, putting women in their place. So I think, you know, we were seeing, we're back in lockdown, we're seeing an increase again in domestic violence. Uh, we're not seeing any increase in funding or, um, you know, even things in place to support people to get out of, of domestic violence situations. You know, we're in a, a housing crisis still. Um, and we're seeing this sort of narrative being played out on on national media um where you've got you know there people are discussing a domestic violence situation and then they're they're basically um heroing somebody who who very much agreed with domestic violence so it's a little bit sickening for victims of domestic violence there's an awful lot of stuff coming down the line um in regard to um various agencies being set up and stuff like that. I know Lynn Ryan is doing a huge amount of work um, on trying to, to uh, set up an agency around um, child maintenance and stuff like that. So um, it, it's worth focusing on the positives. I think that there is some change coming and there is some stuff coming down the line, but very disheartening for victims, I think, when they see things like that going on. We've had some really awful cases in Ireland in the last few weeks, you know, whether it's Kenturk or mm. the woman is at Seaman, her two children, like just really awful stuff. And I think lockdown is just bringing that out. I think the guards have been doing some really great stuff and um, I haven't used it like, I, but I know there's for anyone in that position, the Bright Sky app um, which has been designed in conjunction with Women's Aid and Garda Síochána and it's supported by Vodafone, um, is supposed to be really um, helpful. I've heard positive things about it, so it might be worth taking a look at that if it's safe to do so. Um, but yeah, so much more resources needed heading into a lockdown winter around this, um, definitely. 
We've been, um, I have somebody who's been donating PPE to local direct provision centres and we've also given them to the local women's refuge and I was talking to them up there and they're swamped, completely swamped and underfunded. So um, if you can donate to your local refuge, please do. Um, they're not getting enough funding. So, Okay, thank you. And I have a purple background because today is Intersex Solidarity um, day and we're really happy to have our good friend Adeline Berry um, join us to talk about that today. Adeline, what does Intersex um, Solidarity Day mean to you? Well, for me, I, one, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, what it means to me is it, 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 it's emotional for me. Um, to, to Basically, I'm a, I'm a almost 50-year-old intersex person and our voices have gone unheard for so long and that this is becoming bigger. Um, I'm sure people are noticing either in their Instagram feeds or their Facebook today um, or even in person if they're allowed within their, their COVID bubbles that they're seeing buildings are lit up purple and that's for Intersex Awareness Day. That's a Tanya Nivortla, um and as part of the DCU, the, the intersex mapping project that's going on, which is really important, which is for the first time ever, they're, they're exploring and interviewing intersex people on how these things have affected their lives, which has really kind of gone unheard of. So it's kind of huge for us. It's, 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 uh, it, it's exciting. Like it, it's, it's an exciting time to be alive. I mean, we're alive for Black Lives Matter. We're alive for the Me Too movement and we're alive for the time when intersex people's voices are finally being heard. I mean, my, my job right now is basically digging through academic literature on um, things like intersex surgeries and so on and so forth. And there's a massive amount on surgeries performed on babies, of course, against your consent, um, because it's not possible for a baby to consent to a, a life-changing surgery. And after that, there's basically nothing there, there's nothing. They, 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 doctors have no idea or nor any interest in, in how this affects our health going on. And a lot of us have been basically randomly assigned a gender. Like you, you basically, you're born, you have an ambiguous baby in front of you. And uh, doctors are kind of flipping a coin and assigning a gender to it. And if you got the wrong one, if you lost the coin toss as I did, you're kind of screwed. Like I'm still waiting. I'm, I'm almost half a century. It's almost half a century of trying to see a urologist, an endocrinologist, any of these people to try and get help with medical interventions that I suffered as a child. And, and it, it, the silence from the medical community has been basically deafening. And it's, it's a little distressing too that, that they've been silent throughout all the abuse that trans people have been getting. Like doctors know what's up. Doctors know trans people exist. They know it's a valid thing. And they could be jumping in tobacco, so, but instead they've kind of left us to the trolls. And it's the same with intersex. There's a lot of trolling going on right now because the far right are very, very invested in keeping a divide between intersex and trans people. It, it's mentioned in the J.K. Rowling missive, and it's also mm -hmm. the Family Research Center, the, the evangelical hate group spoke about it. And there are a lot of um, groups attacking people online. They have most, most intersex people they've blocked, including myself, but they'll attack anyone else because they're very invested in having a divide. But when surgeons are randomly assigning ba uh, genders to babies, uh, there's going to be some mistakes, you know, as in my case and a lot of intersex people I know. Not all intersex people are trans, not all uh, trans people are intersex, but there is a, a, a considerable overlap. 
But um, it, it's, it's an exciting time too, though, because uh, we I, I'm part of a, an, a pan-European um, project that's hoping to, it's called INYA and it uh, intersects new interdisciplinary approaches. And some of it's being done in Dublin and DCU. I'm currently over in Huddersfield, but Zurich, uh, Granada, Barcelona, there's a, there's a uh, basically it, it's, it's all across Europe and it's people working on really establishing intersex as an academic, um, as, 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 an, as something to, that can be uh, finally uh, embraced by academics and filling in the holes, whether it's in law, in medicine, ethics, and human rights and policy and so on and so forth, you know. But also using all of that expertise simply to bear witness, isn't it? And to show solidarity and acknowledge those experiences. You know, that that gathering of um, the inter- interviewing intersex people and gathering their stories is so important for us to... I mean, my, my project uh, myself is uh, basically, uh, I'll be interviewing older intersex people and finding out how this has affected them. Um, I'm aware, I have met intersex people that are, content and content with the gender they've assigned they've been assigned i've met people that are absolutely not you know and it's just it's really not okay you can't keep describing thalidomide and having babies born without arms and 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 legs because some mothers actually were relieved from their morning sickness you can't i mean we don't even have the numbers on how many people are miserable or and the fact that we're actually lied to throughout our childhood and there's so much secrecy around our surgeries. Um, there's a lot of people out there that have no idea. I, I've actually personally have tattooed people who told me that they, they've, they found out much later in life that they were intersex. They had no idea that basically they went in for a checkup. They were having some issues and uh, they found out then that they're intersex. And, and it explained so much and filled in, joined so many dots in their life. And uh, it, it's, and, and it's, it's, you know, it, Surgery on babies is so defended by doctors that they, they, they will fight tooth and nail to defend it. But meanwhile, on the other hand, you've got a whole bunch of trans people who can't find healthcare. I'm almost waiting four years to see somebody in, in Ireland. Like, I actually went back to college because I was denied healthcare in Ireland, turned down by a very prominent uh, psychiatrist when I, w- I was actually looking for antidepressants. But because I'm intersex and trans, I was told, go away, wait for Lachlan's down. I'm still on the waiting list. It's been nearly four years. So it's quite possible that from start to finish, I will have become a doctor before I'm seen by a doctor, which is crazy because you've got all these doctors who are very invested in, in performing life-altering, uh, irreversible surgery on babies. You've got a whole bunch of trans people who need help. Maybe they, it's time for them to learn some new skills. There's a lot of people having to take up coding because coal mining isn't happening and so on and so forth. Maybe doctors need to step away and address the, the demand and stop harming babies, you know, but it's, it's, an, it's a, an exciting time. I'm, I'm very lucky here um, in Huddersfield to be working with a, an activist called Sean Seifer-Wall, who is part of something called the Intersex uh, Justice Project that he formed with um, Pigeon Pagonis, a well-known intersex activist. And they've been successful in shutting down um, with the help of a couple of stars from Pose that they joined the, the, the fight, uh, India Moore and... Uh, and, they, they, and uh, they were successful in getting Lurie's Children's Hospital in Chicago to stop performing surgeries on babies. And now wow. um, Boston um, 
has has joined the hospital in Boston has has joined it, and they're like, well, okay, let's put the brakes on and actually listen to these people for the first time ever. And and I'm I'm on the board of Intersex Ireland, and we are growing, and there are pe- more people reaching out tentatively. You know, it's 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 a very complex issue, and I think one of the, one of the problems in the world that we see everywhere, whether it's the whole Donald Trump thing, everything else, it's it's life is a lot more complex than we'd like it to be. And we do a lot of things a disservice. I mean, in a way, I'm fortunate in that I've always known that gender is a little more complicated than being male or female because I've known from an early age that I was operating on that I'm intersex. Um, but we live in a world where people are busy, people are distracted, and they, they, they want to live in a simple world. And some of the, the fundamental truths that they hang on to is that there's just men, there's just women. And it's just really not the case. There's mostly men and mostly women and there's an amount of people that fall between, which isn't a massive percentage. It's 1.7% of people are intersex. And there's a great deal of different varieties of intersex variation. Um, but we happen to fall somewhere in between what's generally considered um, typical male and typical female. But that's it's almost 2%. So that's basically more people than have red hair naturally mm. or green eyes naturally. It's a six million people worldwide. That are can, can, can I say one thing though? Just sorry, I know Linda wants to come in, and it's because as as the as a as a white middle class man who had lived a completely sheltered life, it's it's gas because this is now the third or fourth time, Adeline, you've you've spoken on one of the podcasts on the, and once you start to see it, you can't unsee it, and so people like yeah. me who are becoming who are becoming more aware, that's very positive as well. Sorry, Linda, go ahead. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I had never thought about it before I had you on the Pack Woman Pod. And um, when I heard the numbers, the 2%, I was shocked. And also the erasure piece, like, why are they so keen to erase intersex people instead of just letting intersex people be, you know? It's funny, too, though, because people, everybody acknowledges that there is a spectrum. I mean, we all realize that Pee Wee Herman and Jason Momoa are not the same. That there's a spectrum. There, there's weaker, more effeminate men. There's bigger. There, there's more butch, masculine women. There's very, very feminine women. But it's very important to certain people. And if you look at those people, the common denominators, it, it becomes very clear. The Catholic Church uh, came out in uh, June of 2019 and said it's very, very important that surgery, no surgery, is done on trans people because they're perfect the way God made them. Um, intersex people, however, maybe God fucks up sometimes, and doctors should keep on doing those surgeries, whether um, whether surgeons are okay with it, whether the parents are okay with it or not, because there can only be man and woman, because that's where babies come from. But we all know that there's cisgender, like people that aren't intersex that cannot have babies. And also, as, funnily enough, there's a lot of intersex people who can't have babies because they were raised as girls. They looked like girls. They were raised as girls, but then they had undescended testes and they could have reproduced. But doctors lied to them, lied to their parents and went in. Usually these surgeries happen when they're a bit older, like 12, and went in and uh, removed uh, their, their their undescended testes under the guise of removing cancerous uh, test, uh, cancerous ovaries. And uh, and. This is really, really, really common. So then you've got a whole bunch of intersex people that could have had babies and didn't. I'm the biological parent of babies and I'm an intersex person. So it's nonsense. But the same Catholic church in the 1700s was burning 
um, encyclopedias made by a guy called Denis Diderot, and he had a whole chunk on intersex people. And of course, they weren't called intersex back then. The term intersex has been really around since like 1917, but, um, or 1910, thereabouts. But uh, there were like a section on hermaphrodites, and the church was burning these faster than he could print, than he could print them. And uh, they were getting jailed and whatnot. And uh, you have England writing into India in 1871 and outlawing the hijra, the, the, the third gender over there. So the, the, the right are very, very invested in maintaining a divide between male and female. It doesn't yeah, and it's it, it's something we have to be super careful like going forward and we've seen how you know the turf movement in the UK and thankfully it's it's not taking the stronghold in Ireland um if anyone hasn't listened to the podcast that we've had Adeline on please do pack women please others like just educate yourself because the more people know um the better this is um so massive solidarity from the shack on internet solidarity day and thank you Adeline for coming on very quick run around, Shacksters. Um, who's your hero of the week, Tony? There's only one hero of the week, and it's Stacey Abrams. She's uh, <laughs> she is she. If any, whatever else y'all say, she wins. I mean, to the the whole initiative. I remember hearing about Fair Fight a couple of years ago. Going, uh, you know, you're going to do that in Georgia, and you know now Georgia's going to have a runoff. Georgia has Georgia has flipped, um, and. You know, everybody, we said at the outset of this podcast that we should all be, you know, all be grateful and all the rest of it. It's people like Stacey Abrams and the people behind Fair Fight that have actually til- tilted the balance. Um, it's 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 black people, people of color and black and a black woman who's driven that, which is terrific. It's just amazing. Martin. Uh, Catherine Connolly. Is it Catherine Connolly? She's mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. That very deft piece of questioning. I can only <laughs> call it deft. It was very good. Excellent. So that's mine. Yeah. Linda? Um, I'm going to go with Kamala Harris because first oh. woman vice president, person of colour. So, so proud to see that in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, well, Catherine, for me too. It was just so so with Stacey Abrams. Well done, Stacey. We'll send you. The- <laughs> if you haven't watched, we'll, if you we'll haven't watched the Sister Act kind of thing, please go watch. That'll make you smile. Um, listen, thanks so much to Eva Rona oh. and Adeline for joining us. Hold on, Rona. Yeah, I have a hero of the week actually. Go on, and it's Marcus Rashford. Oh yeah. Yes. Because, um, and I'm generally cynical about charity and celebrity, but I have to say he's carried this off with such humility. And he's, you know, he's he's raised points about class and poverty and war on the poor. And it's happening across the board and it's happening here too. It's going to be a really difficult winter. And I'm glad he's done what he's done. I hope it inspires people to try and help others out this Christmas and over the winter months. It's a great point. Just a pity he plays for Man United. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, look, thanks so much, Eva, Rona and Adeline for joining us. Thanks to everyone. There's tons of questions that I even haven't managed to keep up with. And we'll open a few mics now. But thanks to everyone. We'll stop recording. But thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to come along to the next event, it is fairly simple. Head over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, sign up, and we will send you the link. These podcasts are absolutely the best crack we have all week. Um, And come along, have your say. We do open the mics up once we stop this recording piece. And uh, you get to to have a bit of of banter and and plenty of fantastic observations. I'm always staggered by the quality of the questions and obviously the caliber of the people who are in the audience kind of makes me have total and permanent imposter syndrome and it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack 
Thanks for the support.